You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 576 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and this episode is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, and get rewarded. Uh, So we're coming to you live on this Wednesday evening into Thursday, and uh, the meat of the podcast will be an interview that I did with a good friend of the program, Ben Pfeiffer of CBB Today, and uh, all kinds of draft-related things, NBA-related things. That was a, a fun talk that we will get to momentarily, but before we get to Ben, I do want to check in briefly on the news of the week, and that was the fact that both Trey Young and Kevin Herter made an appearance on the NBA All-Rookie teams. Uh, No surprise whatsoever that Trey Young was a first-team selection, but he was actually unanimous. That was the only part that was uh, even remotely in doubt. I thought that he probably would be unanimous, and he absolutely should be unanimous as a first-team All-Rookie selection. Both Young and Luka Doncic were were unanimous selections, followed by uh, DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Marvin Bagley on the first team. First time in uh, more than 30 years that the top five picks were all on the first team, and that was probably the right move. You could have certainly uh, quibbled with um, the inclusion of Bagley, I suppose, over a guy like Gilgis Alexander, but uh, for the most part, pretty uh, d- pretty tough to argue fully against any of those top five guys. And, of course, Trey, uh, as one of the headliners there, that's obviously the right move. The other part of this, though, is that Kevin Herter finished 10th overall in voting, but that was enough to get on the second team. Of course, it's uh, two two five-player teams, and uh, he was number 10 overall. I wasn't sure that Herter was going to make the cut. I would have had him in my top 10 in terms of my rookie overall voting. And by the way, just as a refresher, there is no positions for all-rookie. Obviously, all in BA is is positional, but all-rookie is just um, a free-for-all of sorts. And basically, the question was, is Kevin Herter a top 10 rookie from this year? And I would have said yes. He uh, was joined by um, SGA, Mitchell Robinson, Colin Sexton, and Landry Shamit on the second team. Uh, Herder edged out Mikhail Bridges, who was the guy who I thought was probably the biggest threat to him. He got 45 voting points. And also, by the way, Herder got a single first place vote. Which was kind of surprising, and I'm not even sure I could I could I could go quite that far with uh with my with that Herder respect. But in 75 games, Herder averaged about 10, 10 points a game, shot almost 39 percent from three. He had a very nice season, finished finished eighth in minutes played as well um, in terms of, of the rookie class. So he was a worthy in uh, inclusion there. And uh, at the end of the day, not too much in the way of surprise here. Herder was a mild surprise, I suppose, but I actually would have had him there. I thought he probably wasn't going to make it, but still he did, and that was a good thing for uh, the Hawks, all things considered. So uh, again, you know. It's, Always good to add to uh, the the war chest of awards, and of course Trey Young has four NBA Rookie of the Month awards for the Eastern Conference, and he's a uh, Rookie of the Year finalist alongside Doncic and DeAndre Ayton. So we'll have uh, more coverage of that, of course, as the award show arrives on June 24th. But until then, uh, a nice day for the Hawks earlier earlier this week when uh, things were announced, and uh, a lot of fun there. So with that said, um, you know, here's here's the rest of the uh, podcast. It's going to be with Ben Pfeiffer. We're going to be talking about quite a few things. Uh, just as a reminder, the, that today's show is also brought to you by Untuck It, because uh, Untuck It is a solution that fits just right for clothes, uh, whether it be on dads or uh, dads or otherwise. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekends. No tucking or 
tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code MBA, to get 20% off. Untuckit.com, promo code MBA, to get 20% off. And uh, after this quick break, we'll come back with Ben Pfeiffer. Ben, thank you for joining me, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Brad. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's that time of the year when uh, the draft is draft season, I suppose, is in full swing. We are the by the time, time this, of the year. yeah, but by, by the time this posts, <laughs> it's going to be uh, one month exactly. Uh, well, not not really. I guess four weeks exactly. One month mark. That's crazy. Uh, Monday, wow. but yeah, four weeks to go, and uh, it seems like a long time, but it's really not a long time. So. I uh, appreciate you jumping on to talk about some draft stuff. And uh, so people know we're going to spend a, a bunch of time on this podcast focused on the second round guys. Cause whenever I have people that are well-versed in uh, the deep, the deep dives of the draft, I like to go a little bit deeper on that stuff when impossible. And we'll, we'll get to the lottery guys at the end. So don't, don't go anywhere. Um, but you know, Ben, the Hawks have these three picks, 35, 41 and 44 in this draft. Before we get into individual guys, what do you see is sort of the your, what, is, what is your synopsis of this draft? I think everyone kind of agrees it's not the greatest draft in the world, but where do you see strengths if they are if there are any and where do you see weaknesses in this class? Well, obviously the strength is number 1, <laughs> yes. but that's 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 more strength than plenty of drafts have outside of Zion. You're right. This is this is a weak draft in terms of – I'm not going to say it's weak overall because that's, I think, selling it short. It's weak in terms of high-end talent. I Just looking at last year's draft, you have five, six guys who would easily go number two in this year's class. Trey, Luca, Jaron, Aiton. And this year there's a, got, a lot of guys with – question marks and there's no real star types at the top besides Zion but there is going to be a lot of value in this draft around from 15 to 30 I think that's going to be a great range for guys who probably should go in the top 10-ish range or lottery range that aren't as highly valued by the league some smart teams are going to get a chance to draft some really good players in that range I think there's as always there's quality second round guys going to be quality fringe guys like we're going to talk about today overall it's not the strongest drafts but there's there there's starters you're going to find plenty of starters hopefully that's the goal rotation players just not that many stars yeah and that and that makes total sense i, I do think that that's one of the that's sort of the glaring the glaring weakness of this class is just not a ton of uh, that high-end talent as you referenced. But, you know, even as much as I've been critical of this class, there's still some value to be found. And uh, mm-hmm. the Hawks are in decent shape here. I think we all kind of agree that the Hawks are not likely to take all three of these picks. And if they do, one of them will probably be a stash. But we can still talk about the guys who we think might be there. And if they are there, it might be interesting. So, um I mean, it's 35. It's interesting. People, I think people are treating 35 as if it's like leaps and bounds better than 41. Obviously, it's six spots better, but what's the no, gap? It's not. What, I don't think... say, what, what's, what's the gap there in your mind between those between those? I think have? generally, not just this draft, but for almost every draft, once you get past the very top of the draft, there really isn't that much separation between talent. I mean, all of the data curves historically, all, all of the um, impact metrics, basically everything you look at shows that in terms of just averages, the, t- the talent discrepancy between 20 and 60 isn't as wide as many people think so. In this draft, in, in any draft, I would trade 35 for two picks in the 50s easily just because at that point in the second round, 
unless there's somebody really good who falls that you think other teams that an NBA team thinks other teams just missed, it's really better to get more swings in the second round because the second round you're not going to find stars and you're not I, I, you can find them, but that's not what teams expect to find in the second round. So I think just generally the gap after the top tiers and especially in this draft, even within the top tiers, the gap is not as wide as it normally is. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think in general in this class, aside from number one, you kind of want to be moving down and just getting more assets. Yep. I think that Agreed. it kind of goes contrary because I, I think Hawks fans are having a hard time reconciling that because when I say that, <laughs> you know, all they hear is that they don't want to make five picks and why would you want to get more picks? And it's like, well, A, they don't have to be picks this year necessarily. And B, it's just assets. It's it's an asset game. Uh, you, you you want more chances, and no one, you know, including Travis Schlenka, said that they don't they don't want to make five picks. They don't want to carry five rookies. That's not the same thing. You know, you can you can mm-hmm. make five picks, and or you can not make five picks, or you can stash guys, and you know that doesn't mean that they're they're gonna that you're gonna carry six seven rookies on the roster. But uh, moving down still presents value, and uh, I think people might, might be jarred by you saying that because I think a very very popular notion in Hawks land is trading the second round picks and moving up. Because, of course, like, you know, first round picks, maybe it's like, oh, well, yes, maybe. Um, and there is value in that when you can get a guy on a guaranteed four year contract, etc. But uh, I'm kind of with you that train down is probably the move uh, in a vacuum in this class. Um, yeah, it's the only real. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It's the only real reason you trade in the first round is to get that contract. But like I said before, like the difference between 25 and 35 is nothing unless there's somebody you really like who fell, who I think it's possible, especially in this draft that somebody really good people who we'll talk about later will fall. But generally in terms of in terms of odds and in terms of looking at it historically, it's just a waste of a waste of assets to, to move up, especially in this draft. Like we talked about. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it'd be a, it'd have to be a perfect situation where somebody crazily fell that we didn't see coming for it to make a lot of sense. Okay, let's get into some players. Um, it's it's kind of funny. Right. A lot seems to have changed um, in some circles, at least, between the even a couple of months ago and the, with, with the Combine and all that fun stuff happening. Did anybody jump out of this range for you like that, that you think may not be available now that might have been available a couple weeks ago? Like, for instance, Nick Claxton's a guy that Hawks fans got – excited about and I'm 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 kind of one I'm kind of want to say they probably he probably isn't going to be there now given what I have heard and read he probably isn't going to be there at 35 anymore like is, is there somebody like that or is it a situation where not that much has changed and it might just be some uh, some smoke that's out there yeah that, that's definitely a good one with uh Claxton he's he played really well at the combat I have a few reservations with him as high as he's probably going to go but does it does seem like he's going to be out of Atlanta's range at 35 you're correct about that I think Matthias Steibel is another one. Not, not he didn't play in the combine, but he seems to be had some first round promises. He didn't work at the combine. He was a guy I thought might be available around that scenario a month ago, who I don't think he's going to be anymore. I'm trying to think about any other combine risers. Maybe Luka Samanich, who played exceptionally well at the combine. I think the most surprising thing for me about him was I think he gained 20 pounds, which is huge for him because his physicality was always a big issue in Europe. But I don't think there's too many guys who are just completely out of that range at this point. I think people are going to be surprised one way or another about who's available at 35. It happens every year that guys nobody expects to be there are there. So it's not really something I'd be concerned too much over. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I mean, I know, you know, you and I that traffic in this stuff a little bit, 
we hear things, but we're also not newsbreakers that have all the intel necessarily. So I'll leave yeah. that stuff up to uh, guys like Sam Vecini and the ESPN guys that are super plugged in uh, in this world. But I hear some things, and you kind of you kind of have an educated guess as to who's going to be there. Um, with, with that in mind, I mean, combining what you what we've all read versus your own big board, and I've looked at your big board and I, and I follow you on Twitter, so I, I kind of know a couple of, a couple of guys that you might be saying here. But um, let, let's dream a little bit here rationally and reasonably uh, a guy who could be available at 35 that would be your favorite player would be who? Chauncey Porter. So yeah, that would be for sure my favorite player. And if you know me, you know how much I love Chauncey. He was my number two before the injuries. And I'm still having a difficult time figuring out what to do with him in terms of ranking because I want to believe in modern medicine and ACLs recently as technologies improved aren't as damning as they used to be to careers and but johnson has two on the same knee and he's his whole family has injury history so it's difficult what to make of him and especially someone who already lacked mobility which is one of his main concerns having broken knees isn't going to help that but one thing working for him is at the combine he dropped since the last combine, he dropped about 5% body fat. He was 13.85 in 2018, and he was 8.5 in 2019, which is absolutely huge for him. It's one of the biggest reasons I remain so high on Porter, because that his, his pudginess leads to potential physical development. And when you combine that with his special passing, he's a, he's a big who shoots off movement. Like Those basically don't exist. He's got great touch. On both ends of the floor, his IQ is savant level. Even if he's not the quickest or the strongest or the longest on defense, he makes plays still because of his his IQ. And if the Hawks can pick him up at 35, I even think it's maybe possible he falls to their later second-round picks if they decide to keep those. Even though he's not the most seamless fit with John Collins, there might be some defensive problems, especially on the perimeter there. But it's it's a guy who I think you have to take if he's there just for his talent alone. And in my notes, the only things I put for Jonte Porter were a sad face emoji and just <laughs> draft him. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on Jonte Porter. If he's there, draft him. Yeah, that kind of tells the story. And it's interesting because he's a prime example of a player that the general public and even the very well-informed draft public can't get a full read on because we're just not going to see his medical information. And if you don't know mm-hmm. that and have a good idea of that, it makes it tough. But on the flip side the Hawks having three picks does allow them to second round picks. I should say five total allows them to potentially take a swing on someone like Jonathan Porter. Um, you know, obviously they have to be comfortable with the medical information, but they have a, um, a very respected training staff led by a former uh, Warriors training staff person in Chelsea Lane. Um, so they and they have this great medical facility, et cetera. Have a pretty good track record with those kind of um, things. So if there's a team out there, you know, maybe not the greatest on court fit with Collins, et cetera. But Porter is a talent that you would not see in the second round under normal circumstances. So that makes it pretty interesting. And I think um, Jeff Siegel even wrote about Jonte for Peachtree Hoops a couple of uh, days ago, if you want to go and read a little bit more about him. But I had a feeling that he was going to be on your list. Uh, I'm waiting for the other for the other injury guy who, who I have a feeling is going to be on your list too because he's he's definitely on mine. So uh, is Chumo Okiki on your, on your list of targets that might be interesting in this range? He is. I'm, I'm. I can't believe you figured that out. But he's yeah, a, he's, he's an he's an he's an Atlanta product, by the way. He's a local guy. So he is. Yes, you're right. And Okiki is another really good guy. 
I was very high on him. I've lowered a little bit, less because of the injury, more because I worry about his athleticism. He's really not an athletic guy, but he makes up for it in a lot of ways, especially on defense. His his rotations might be the best in this class. He's crazy good timing on the weak side for steals and for blocks. His stock numbers are ridiculous. 4.8 block percent, 2.7 steal percent. And that's really part of the big thing for him. His stats are just crazy. And there's really an argument that that is boosted by Auburn, which is a very modern NBA team. I know Kiki played small ball center. But he's generally going to be a smart team defender, which definitely is something Atlanta can use. Atlanta can def- is dying for defensive playmakers. I know Kiki can do that on the defensive end. And on offense, you look for his passing. And that's another thing I want to mention about Atlanta specifically and why they're such a great fit for so many prospects. Because you have Trey Young, who there's only two players in the NBA who provide more vertical spacing than Trey Young, and that's Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. Just the threat of his range, even if the accuracy isn't there, the volume from well beyond 25, 26, 27 feet is there for Trey Young. And for players like Okiki, who are more stationary shooters and great passers who can take advantage of that space, who will have a lot of four-on-threes to play and c- can maybe even contribute a bit off the short roll. Not something he did too much in college, but something I could definitely see him doing in Atlanta if he got the chance. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the defensive playmakers is such a, it's such a, uh, a topic of conversation. I talk about that all the time on this podcast. But the Hawks need to add some defensive talent somewhere along the way. It doesn't have to be, you know, super urgent given where they are on their rebuilding curve. But they're going to need some talent on that end of the floor, and uh, Kiki would certainly be that. And it might be a by low guy because of the injury in part. Like you know, he might have been a first round pick. I'm not sure he would have been because you know it was there was some mixed stuff there. But I think he probably would have been a first round pick if not for the injury. And yeah, we'll I agree see. with you. Um, and I mean, and that, as you mentioned before with Jonte, you know, it's basically, it's a, it's a fairly common injury. It happened pretty late. So you might lose some, some value in his rookie season, but big picture for the Hawks. That is, that isn't a huge drawback. And if that allows you to scoop him later than he was going to be available, that's a pretty good uh, situation for Atlanta, I think. Absolutely. It's, he might not play until February, but it doesn't really matter because he's going to be good anyway. You're not playing the short game with Atlanta anyway. So it doesn't matter too much. Yeah. Um, okay. We can we can move on from there. I think uh, any. I, I, I know I could probably just tee up all, all day long, but uh, give me another guy or two that you think might be interesting in that range um, that could be there. Obviously. Sure. I'll talk about a guy I know you like a lot, Charles Matthews. Uh, my 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 close personal friend, Charles Matthews. No, I'm kidding. But yes, I do like Charles yes. Matthews. Your large adult son, Charles Matthews, <laughs> who played very well in the first scrimmage at the combine, and. I mean, his combine was all right. He didn't measure as well as I expected he was, and he was kind of bad in the second game. That doesn't really impact my evaluation of too much. With, with him, it's, it's all about the defense. Behind Zion, Brandon Clark, and Matisse Thibel, I think he's the fourth best defender in this class. His movement on the perimeter is so rare. The way he, he's so fluid with his hips, changing directions, getting around screens, pestering ball handlers on the ball. It's, it's really fantastic. He rivals... DeAndre Hunter as the best on-ball defender in this class. And off the ball, he's, he's he's a terror. He's so quick. He's really aggressive off the ball, making reads. He can get a bit too aggressive at times, but it's not a huge issue when he's making the type of plays he is. And the thing with Charles Matthews is obviously the offense. He's, he's pretty horrible on offense in, in every sense. 
But that being said, he's a jump shot away from being a real contributor on an NBA team in the playoffs. So I think another thing to consider with Matthews is when people talk about upside prospects, I don't think Matthews is a prospect anybody ever considers. But if you think about it, teaching a jump shot isn't exactly rocket science. We've seen so many players learn to shoot. We've seen Brooke Lopez turn into seven-foot Kyle Korver this season. And I don't think it's very out of the question that Charles Matthews becomes a 35% shooter within three or four years. And in that case, assuming his defense is still elite, his value is through the roof. So he's a guy I think the Hawks should absolutely be targeting. Again, again, he fits the theme of defensive playmakers, and he's just an all-around great player. Yeah, there's this school of thought that um, I think is interesting that you, you that you basically want to target guys with uh, with one elite skill because you kind of just need that potentially. I, I tend to gravitate towards guys sometimes that can just kind of do everything pretty well, but there's an argument to be sure that having an elite skill will take you a long way, and Matthews as you said, like has an elite skill, like he has some weaknesses too and some glaring weaknesses. But if you factor in his defense, especially on the wing where every team needs that in the NBA right now, um, if he can shoot at all, it will work on some level. Um, now that's not, a, that's definitely an open question. Like if, if he can't shoot at all, it becomes really tough because there are only a handful of guys in recent history that can really function without any kind of jump shot on the perimeter. Um, he isn't the kind of guy who can create his own offense enough to where he'd have to be basically be Tony Allen to um, last in the league without any kind of jump shot. But, you know, it's not completely broken, I don't think. So we'll see. I've, I've of course, partial to him, but I've also seen him so many times and so often that it's just so easy to see how he works. Um, it's easy to see how he doesn't work too, though, so I get kind of both sides of that one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's... If he shoots, it's basically a if he shoots question. It's that way with so many guys. It's, it's no guarantee, but it's certainly possible, and it's certainly worth a gamble in the second round. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, that's that's pretty uh, pretty straight ahead, honestly. Um, oh, I was going to ask you about. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, this is a random one that I wanted to ask you about. I, I actually, I, I probably should look at your big board after this. But are you a Dylan Windler fan? I'm kind of lukewarm on Dylan Windler. I'm I'm okay with him. I'm not the biggest fan of his, but I can definitely see the appeal. He's six eight. He shoots the ball. He kind of he's a smart player. He kind of does everything. I'm not really sure about his defense. I'm not sure about his overall consistency. But I can I can get behind him in the second round. I mean, yeah, I'm, okay I, I'm asking because he he not really from. I do like him a little bit, but he fits the mold of what the Hawks like, which means the, the Travis Schlenk is very uh, outward in talking about how he likes players that can dribble, pass, shoot, and he he's really prone to liking shooters, which is why I don't think he will love Charles Matthews. But um, mm-hmm. it's just the guys who can shoot it. Um, I, I think this front office has shown a proclivity to lean towards. So guys like Windler, guys like Zach Norvell, um, who are maybe in this range, um, could be guys, you know, even Jordan Poole, um, guys like that who have yes, that. Yes, my son Jordan Poole. Um, yeah, my other son, uh, who have that who wow. have that skill. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Just to put that out there, I'm not. That's not me giving intel away on those specific guys. I just look and try to see guys that I think Travis Schlenk will gravitate towards, and they're usually the guys who can shoot it. Yeah, Dylan Windler can definitely shoot the ball. He shot he shot forty three percent on two hundred thirty attempts this year, eighty five percent from the free throw through the line, seventy five percent of the rim. He's he's gonna shoot. So definitely, sure. if the Hawks want a shooter, Dylan Windler's a guy. Yeah, 
Uh, let's talk about Jordan Poole real quick. I know this is not a Michigan podcast, but since uh, I know, it, I know it you like be. him, he can, I mean, he can, I can, <laughs> it certainly could I can be. talk about Michigan prospects all day. They're such a fun team to watch. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, Iggy, too, which is an interesting one. Let's talk about I those love, guys. They're, they're, they're both I reasonable to, to discuss in this format, so I'm going to take sure. the opportunity to talk about Michigan basketball for a minute. First, I want before we do this, I want to talk about Xavier Simpson, who I would draft him just for his hook shot alone, just just have him come off the bench five minutes a game and just shoot 30 hook shots and see what happens. It would sell so many tickets. <laughs> like, there's yeah. so much marketing and like social media opportunity for that. I'm I'm 75% kidding, but in the point in the point guard hookshot market, he is uh, one of the leaders. Let's say that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we talked about Matthews uh, and I, th- I think they're all second round prospects, but, uh, pool and Brad's it looks like Iggy's going to be in the draft for sure. Now Poole's definitely already going to be in the draft. So either one of those, I know you like pool, but either one of those guys strike you as a intriguing fit. I don't love the fit with pool in Atlanta, but I do think he's a prospect that's, uh, certainly in that range of, uh, outcomes. Yeah. I mean, I, I can get behind the fit with Poole in Atlanta. I mean, you can never have too many versatile shooters, and that's really a thing with Poole. Like, he's such a such a versatile shooter, he, which is kind of, because he doesn't... You probably noticed this. He doesn't love shooting catch-and-shoots. He'd, no. he'd rather take an eight-dribble step back. But obviously, if you can get him in the right mentality, he can catch-and-shoot, and he can come off movement left, he can come off movement right, he can come off movement middle, he can hit step-backs... He can hit pull-ups at a decent clip. Not great, but that shooting versatility is really valuable. And another thing I feel like people underrate about Jordan Poole is he's a legitimately excellent pick-and-roll passer. He's not the best passer in just chaotic, dynamic situations, but out of the confines of a pick-and-roll, he can he can hit the weak side on a pick-and-roll, exploiting the tagging defender like nobody else can. That His timing is small, but it's so good. I mean... Playing with John Teske as a role man obviously helped that, but I really think that's a bankable skill he could lean on to, as a as a spell to Trey Young because the Hawks don't really have anybody who can create at a pick and roll reliably when Trey Young sits. So I think Poole probably not the best fit alongside him, but a but a good bet to take over minutes for him and not lose too much value when he sits. So I do like Poole for that. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. He's an interesting player, and you know, Braz Dacus is sort of in Atlanta's range, and he's I think a guy that the Hawks might like because he you know is just has sort of game that they might enjoy. But I think I'm a little lower on him than I was for sure. Do you think he can guard? That's kind of the only question that matters with him is like, can he play defense at all? Can he hold up on defense? And that's if he can, then he might have a path, and if he can't, then he probably doesn't. Uh yeah, I think you can hold up. I'm almost gonna give us measurements. Uh, six foot seven, two five inch shoes, six foot nine wingspan. It's definitely good enough. And the thing about him is he's really strong and he's really competitive. And strength is one of the things I look for a lot in prospects. It's something that I feel is always undervalued. And I think he's gonna be fine guarding most threes. I mean, obviously not the great ones. He's gonna be fine guarding most fours. I think. He's just a really solid player. He's he, he can score in a variety of ways. I think he's going to defend. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. So yeah, sign me up. Obviously. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, get away, getting away from Ann Arbor. Yes, let's for Let's make a Michigan. Let's make Michigan East. I'm so for it. I'm I'm definitely here for it. Also. You have to draft John Teske in 2020. It's just, <laughs> it has to happen. Yeah, he would be. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the uh, discussion is around Teske actually a year from now. But I digress. Um. <laughs> Any, I know we talked about Jonte, you know, 
I'm on record as not wanting the Hawks to take a big man in the lottery, and we'll get to that in a minute. But with that yeah, in I mind, count, I, can, I can count you on that. But yeah, when I, whenever I say that, people uh, always say, "Well, they need, the Hawks need a center." I'm like, "Well, they don't," you know. Yes, okay. and y- y- yes, and no. But uh, my my, my long my long winded way of asking: Are there any bigs that are other than Jonte in the second round that you would be interested in selecting? Ah, that's a good question. I don't. I, I know you're I low on like guys like Gaffer. A lot and, of the like, bigs. It's interesting. I mean, I don't think there's especially at 35 i don't think it's a good idea to take any of these kind of rim runner boring type bigs that just are so just because just in nature they're so replaceable i don't i know it's not great to get caught up on just archetypes and lobbing guys together but i mean gafford i guess you could take him he's got good i mean he's one of the best finishers in this draft he can he's, he's kind of a fake defender but he can move a little bit he'd probably play next to john collins but I'm trying to. I think big men. I think it's it's really bad because Claxton would have been a great guy to have there, but like you said, I don't think he is going to be available. And just looking at looking at ESPN's board, the ADPs, I think uh, I think Jalen McDaniel's could be an interesting guy, even though I don't really consider him a big. I would build him more as a wing, super fluid, coordinated, shows flashes of high level skill, but he's really thin and has problems with defense and consistency on offense. So it's not really a great middle round big market in the draft at least. Oh, actually, sorry. One guy who's probably not going to get drafted anywhere but Golden State, and that's Alan Smulligich, who plays for the Santa Cruz Warriors. He is draft eligible, and he is awesome. (laughs) I feel like nobody knows about him, but he's such a good prospect. For someone as young as he is, He's such a good defender. His motor's really good. He passes the ball well. He's someone like if we if we count him as an international, he's going to be in my top three internationals just after Goga and Siku. So I think that's a guy that the Hawks should definitely look at, but they probably won't. <laughs> there you go. That's an, that's a name that I don't think anybody is going to be talking about. So uh, I that's, that's I, no I would record. bet they don't. So. There you go. That's now on the record, though. I, I appreciate the uh, the deep cuts because that's uh, that's it gets interesting for me. Um, Let's see who else I was going to ask you about individually. Oh, um, this guy I know you hate, uh, so I have to ask you about him. Uh, you don't like oh, Admiral, okay. Admiral Schofield at all. Oh, no, I hate uh, I mean, I don't like saying mean things about people. I mean, I bet Admiral Schofield is a great guy, but yes, I'm not a big fan of Admiral Schofield. No. it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to make you slander the man, um, but... Um, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I'm not like over the moon about him or anything. I, I'd have him in the 40s, I mm-hmm. think, but you know he's i think there are some hawks fans that just like the idea of him and that makes sense like as a potential two-way guy who can shoot a little bit what don't you like so people know what you're seeing that they're maybe not seeing all right so how about this i'll tell you the things that i do like there you go so he's got shooting he's strong (laughs) and he's a good shooter and he's supposedly a very charismatic guy and he clearly works hard. If you've seen his him and Grant Williams, who we'll talk about later, their body transformations at Tennessee, they're absolutely ridiculous. They're they're basically every guy's dream to be a part of that strength and conditioning program. But yeah, it's kind of where the positives end about Admiral Schofield. I mean, the main thing with him is like he's he plays with such little feel on offense, and I just it's really hard for me to bet on those kind of guys that they don't they're not going to pass. And not really going to create off the dribble to, at too big of a rate. And Schofield's a good shooter, 
but he's not like an uber elite shooter in any way. And that's what he'd have to be to provide any real offensive value, in my opinion. But in terms of the defense, he's he's okay off ball, and he's kind of strong, but he's pretty small. He's six four, I think. He measured the combine. Yeah, six four in shoes, six foot nine wingspan, which is pretty good, and uh, eight six standing reach, which is all right. But he's, his awareness is kind of bad. And his team defense overall is not something I'm overly excited about. I mean, he's like a wing with a pulse who can shoot. So top 100, I guess, once everyone returns. But I'm, I, I don't see it with Admiral Schofield. There you go. I don't want to make you pro- put you on the spot, but that was the guy who I think. I'm very, biggest, I'm very sorry if you're listening, the Admiral. Split. I, I, I don't, I do not hate you. I doubt that he is, but uh, I wanted to put that out there <laughs> hey. on the record. Um, <laughs> I asked you to prep, so anybody else that we haven't talked about that you think uh, would be good either for Atlanta specifically or just uh, would be a good value in this range that might be in this range? Sure. Um, I want to talk about my guy, Daquan Jeffries. Uh, I wonder, I wasn't sure if you saw, if you saw that one coming. Internet I'm, favorite. Internet favorite, Daquan Jeffries. People, people like him. I, I like him too, by I, the way. I think I don't think anybody likes him more than me, at least from the big boards and consensus rankings I've seen across and – I'm I'm such a big fan of his, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed because he this, this, this is going to really, really sound really narcissistic, and I'm sorry, but he he was a guy kind of on my radar that I feel like I had him in the first round like a month ago, and people called me crazy, and now he just dominated at Portsmouth and at G League and played well in the NBA Combine. Now he's going to get some first round hype, and you know, like yeah, I told you no, uh, I'm kidding, <laughs> but yeah, Jeffries is just. Really solid all-around wing, six four, seven foot wingspan. He's just kind of good at everything. He shoots the ball well, and thirty-six percent from three this year. But I think it's real. He shot. Okay, listen. He he shot seventy-one point seven percent at the rim on one hundred and thirteen. That's one hundred thirteen attempts. That is the best in this draft among players who are six foot five and under. And granted, it was forty-eight point one. 41.8% assisted, but that's a decent mark, and it's apparent on tape that he has touch. And on offense, he's such a good passer as well. If you watch him, he's a smart passer. He's a smart decision maker. He makes the right play, which is such an undervalued trait. He's not gonna make stupid. Not gonna take stupid shots. And on defense, his main real knock overall for me is that he's not really good. He's not really good on ball. His lateral quickness is off. His technique isn't great. His closeout's gonna be spotty. But off the ball, as a team defender, he really does excel using his length, rotating, closing out. He can even defend defend the post a little with his length. And he's not too old for a senior. I think he's 21. And he's just a guy who I'm a really big fan of. And I think he would be great for any team in the second round. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's younger than you would imagine a senior being. So he is, yeah. Makes, uh, I, I do like him too. I think I was not as much as you do, but you know, for, for the Hawks <laughs> in the forties, that would be a perfectly reasonable Absolutely. pick. Absolutely, it's a great. Um, yeah, great sign me up for a uh, sort of do everything guy that he can uh, fill in the gaps. Oh, there was one guy I wanted to ask you about, and I'm gonna I'll let you keep going. Um, a, is there any chance Ty Jerome falls to 35? And B, do you like Ty Jerome as much as I do? Because I, I love Ty Jerome. How how much do you like Ty Jerome? Uh, I have I I have him at like 20. Okay, I'm I'm not that big on Ty Jerome. I think he's fine. I mean, he's he's more than fine. He's good. I don't think he'll be available at 35. I don't either. Just because <laughs> national championship run, I'd be pretty surprised if he was available at 35. Actually, I mean, 
you love his shooting, obviously. He's such a smart passer. He's a good team defender. He's he's smart all around, but it's just the athleticism with him, and sure. he's not overly big. So it's possible to see him not meeting athletic threshold for the NBA, but I think with his shooting and his passing, there's definitely a role for him somewhere. And he'd obviously be great on the Hawks. Hawks love shooters, so. But I doubt they're going to have a chance to get him, at least in this draft, uh, unless they want to colossally reach, which is not going to happen, or trade Oh, no, up. yeah, that, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I do, uh, and I know I'm probably too high, and I think fit-wise, he'd be really good in Atlanta. He's a skilled guy. He's also a big lead guard type of guy. I know he's not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's a big one compared to lead guards anyway. Um, and the shooting, I, I know the Hawks like the shooting, but alas. Um, ooh, uh, I'm gonna, maybe, maybe, maybe this will encompass some of the guys you have on your list, but there, the other popular notion in addition to center that Hawks fans have is backup point guard. Cause they don't really have one right now. And All that right. does not mean that, that they have to take one, here. but uh, that could be interesting as well. Is there anybody on your list that you, uh, that would fit that? Okay. For so you? I'm not, I'm not sure if you've seen my Twitter recently, if you've been following closely. So, but if you have, just tell me, tell me, you know, the answer. I'm going to ask something. So in the, since 2008, only three college players have had seasons with 150 attempts at the rim, 65% at the rim and 253 point attempts. One of those is Jimmer Fredette in 2011. The other is 2016 Buddy Heald. And the third is the person I'm going to intro now. Do you know who it is or have any guesses? Ooh, uh, second round. It's probably more of a undrafted type guy, but I'm higher on him than most people. Hmm. I don't think I'll get it, so just fire away. All right, it's Justin Wright Foreman. Uh, oh, I do like him actually. I would, I would, yeah. I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have gotten that, but that's, uh, not, I'm not that surprised now. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll preface this by saying, like, I totally get any argument against him because he's going to be all-time level bad on defense. I think he, his. He fit right in block. Atlanta. Then that means <laughs> his anyway. defensive box plus minus is like negative three. And the only player I, I I look for a while, the only player I can find who's ever done anything in the NBA with that bad of deep of a box plus minus is Bryn Forbes. So, and there are just so many bad ones. But I think Justin Wright Foreman is just so good on offense and. For I mean, for it's so hard to be a small guard in the NBA now. You have to be really special, and I think Justin Foreman has a chance to be special. I'm not guaranteeing anything, or at the but at the back of the second round, he's might be the best pull up shooter in this draft. It's just so smooth. The question is whether he can extend it farther further out and at further volume, like like Trey Young say. And if he can, he'd be deadly. He's inconsistent as a passer, but he has shows the flashes of high level reads and NIT against NC State. He was so fantastic at, as a passer and flashes like that, creating out of the pick and roll, attacking double teams. I'm really interested to, to see him creating with a good short roll big, somebody I'm going to hopefully talk about a little bit later to that Atlanta can maybe pair with Justin Wright Foreman to unlock his passing. But he's such a such an excellent score. Another stat I want to mention, what you remember – if you look at players in 2008 with 150 rim attempts at 65%, 100 mid-range attempts at 45%, and 200 three-point attempts at at 40%, Justin Wright Foreman is the only one. There's nobody else. That's it. His his level of of scoring volume and efficiency is is ridiculous. It's it's historical. It just doesn't happen. 
And I know it's college. A lot of it's not super considerable. He plays at Hofstra. I get it. But you watch him. And he's such a talented scorer. I think backing up Trey Young, you could really, obviously, in the passing department, you're going to lose a lot with Wright Foreman. But you can't get two Trey Youngs. And when it comes to pull-up shooting, I don't think there's too many better bets to swing on as an undrafted free agent or at the end of the second round. Yeah, I, that, I would not be opposed to that at all. It's probably too high in the at forty four, but you know, in this class, yeah, as we talked about at the very beginning, like there, nothing is crazy at forty four. Like you just take the guy you want, honestly. If you you know, if they had if they yeah. had him at forty, if they had him at that at that spot on their board, then you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't blow me away. Let's just say that. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't draft him, but yeah, I'm not saying they should do it. I'm just saying, yeah, like, if they you know. At forty four, people, like him, people will say there's reaches at forty four. I'm like, yeah, I guess you could say it's a reach, but it's it doesn't still really matter at that point. Yeah, you just take the guy you want. It's not take a, the guy who's there. Yeah. Um. Before we get into the lottery, guys, anybody else that you want to get out there that we haven't talked about that you want to sure? I have one more guy on my list, and that's Terrence Davis out of Ole Miss. He's a guy who's come onto radars this season, playing really well. He broke out in his senior season. He's only six foot three without shoes, six four shoes, but a six eight wingspan. And he is probably a top five athlete in this entire draft class. And that's really where the crux of argument for Terrence Davis early in the second round comes. And he's improved as a shooter. He's shooting 36% this year. It's by far the best he's ever shot in his career. So there's some worry about whether the shot will stick, but I do believe in it. It looks nice, and his shot looks exactly like Victor Oladipo's shot, and I do cover the Pacers, so maybe a little bias there, but I digress. He's an underrated passer. He's got a pretty decent handle. His, his athleticism really pops on defense, and I just think he's a good kind of small wing type player for Atlanta to add. I think he'd fit well with them as another defensive playmaker and athlete. Yeah, I, uh, I'm coming around on him as well. I don't, I uh, knowing, I think you have him as a first rounder on your list, essentially. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm not that high, but I do like him now a lot more than I thought I was going to, and having dug on him a little bit more. And apparently, he's having a very nice uh, couple of weeks recently. So he has been. Um, okay, uh, we can transition, and we'll finish with the lottery guys if that's all right with you. And I think you sort of alluded to your favorite. And the internet's apparently favorite. I, I've been really surprised the last few days at some people that I think are very smart, including yourself, that are uh, all in on a certain Tennessee forward. And I think you were alluding to him earlier, so please take the floor with Grant Williams and run with it. Yeah, so Eves Ponds. Wait, no, I'm kidding. It's Grant Williams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, there are some people who have Grant Williams like their top five, top four. I'm not there, but I think he's one of the very best fits for Atlanta in at 8 and 10, I'd be ecstatic with him at 10, and I'd be okay with him at 8 even if you could take another swing at 10. And the reason you think he has such a great chance to be a dynamic short role creator, and we see guys like Draymond Green. I'm, I'm not comparing him to Draymond Green, but there are definitely projectable similarities with his passing. And the problem with guys who project to create on the short role is there's only so many point guards who have the type of gravity that allow guys to consistently play four on three. And by every indication, it seems Trey Young is one of those guys who is going to command double teams every time they're on the pick and roll as he develops his shooting more. And if they don't double him, he's just going to shoot over the top and teams aren't, teams are going to get burned. So their options are now Trey Young has Grant Williams as an outlet where 
that's not something the Hawks have right now. A guy who can create off the short roll, and he can he, he can catch the ball in the mid post. He's such a good decision maker, and with his incredible touch, he can he can hit from that mid range day area all day. He can make bounce passes. I can just imagine him throwing lobs to John Collins. All day out of the short roll, John Collins sitting on the block and just catching lots of Grant Williams all day. And I do think Grant Williams is going to shoot threes. It's a divisive thing. I think a majority of people are high on him believe this because even though his volume isn't great, there's so many other things. His mid-range jumpers are incredible. He's 50% for mid-range. That's fourth best in this draft behind Brandon Clark, Anthony Lamb, and Tyler Hall. He's 72% at the rim on 151 attempts. He's shooting 82% from the free throw line. All of the indicators from there, all the indicators are there for a guy who's going to, in time, learn to shoot. And he's only 20. He's a junior, but he's sophomore age. So there's already plenty of room for develop there. He's a really smart guy. He plays Catan, so you know he's smart. And it's just I think the fit in Atlanta is so perfect with Trey Young that I would be happy with Grant Williams in Atlanta at eight. I, I'd be more happy with him there than say with Phoenix at six or something like that. Yeah, I mean I, I totally understand the arguments and uh, you referenced it before. A couple of people that I think are very smart have him in the top five or six. Um I don't see it. I do see – it's kind of funny. I thought I was higher on Grant Williams than everybody else was. Maybe not everybody else that most people were like two weeks ago when I had him in like the late teens. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, maybe not so much anymore. I still think he's going to – he's not going to go that high, I don't think. Maybe, oh, maybe absolutely I'm, maybe not. I'm wrong. He's not going to go that high. Yeah, I think he – it'd be a surprise to me if he, if he won the lottery. But, you know, it's not impossible that it would happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he probably see. goes in the 20s maybe, maybe late teens – yeah, I was gonna. I'm kind of everything I've read and heard somewhere right. around there, uh, based on what I have heard so far. But it's yeah, that's not the same thing. You know, mocks and big boards are not the same thing. That's always important to put out there. That's true. Um, and you like him, and you're well within your rights to do that. He's he's a very talented guy, um, and I think should be a first rounder for sure. And there was that was a you know there, there are people that still think he isn't a first rounder, and that I don't see. I think he's definitely yeah, a first rounder. Insane, but um, but that's yes. out there. I mean, I know I know you've seen it too. I mean, that's out there. I have absolutely seen it. So uh, I knew that was going to happen. Um, aside from Grant Williams, we can go over all the guys who are you know sort of mocked in that range. Is yeah, anybody sure. that is there anybody that. else that isn't regularly mocked in that range that you think the Hawks should consider at eight or ten? Hmm. Um, there there, there doesn't mean, have to be a name here because there's obviously a lot of guys that are mocked at least somewhere um, in that range. Like I'm talking about, just for reference, we'll, we'll get to these guys individually in a second. But you're talking about Cam Reddish, Nas Little, Sekou Dumboya, uh, Jackson Hayes, Goja, and Brandon Clark, and then of course you know Culver and Hunter if they were to fall are the guys that I usually see mocked there. So anybody okay. anybody anybody that I, that I that I didn't just name. Basically. I was gonna say Goga, but you said um, I'll quickly mention two guys. I'll mention PJ Washington. Uh, he's pretty close to me in terms of evaluation with Grant Williams. He's just, he's probably, or in my projection, going to be the next in the long line of college fours who are wings at, or threes at the NBA level with, I mean, he's, I buy his passing and shooting a lot as a big, he's got great activity on defense. I think he'd fit well with the Hawks. Another guy, the guy that, that I, 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 earlier in the podcast, I heard you talk about pass dribble shoot guys or pass dribble score guys for the yep. Hawks, something like that. I think a guy that might not fit that right now, but I think will in the future is Romeo Langford. 
And although his his shot's kind of bad now with his horrible hitch in his form, his touch is great. And with a good shooting coach, that that is fixable. And he, and he's a, I mean he's six six, pass double shoot wing. I think he's a guy that the Hawks could like. So those are the two guys I have outside of the outside of those guys you mentioned. Yeah, and that's uh, not surprising. I think those are probably you know Langford is divisive. If you think that the Absolutely. shot is fixable, then he's a top ten talent probably. Um, but if it's not, then it gets tougher. So yeah, that's tough. Um, but and he's interesting, obviously. Uh, okay, let's talk about the guys that are regularly mocked there. Let's start with the bigs. Um, I'm on record as not loving taking any of the true bigs. Um, you know, Brandon Clark is sort of a different story in my opinion, but the, uh, the okay. pure center prospects, Hayes and Gojo, I, but I, I think people are starting to are coming, uh, really hard on Gojo right now. I think you might be one of those people as well. So how do you break down Hayes? They're very different players, but Hayes and Gojo yeah. are the two guys who are sort of often linked with the Hawks. I, I'd say I'm, I mean, I'm pretty moderate on both. I mean, I'm very high on both, but in terms of draft Twitter, I think I'm pretty moderate. Like there are smart people I respect who have there's one there's one person I respect who has Jackson Hayes too. There's people who have Goga too. I'm not there. But I'll try to make the pro argument for both of them. So for Jackson Hayes, it's he's basically super fluid, super mobile, super athletic clay. And that's what you and that's what you're kinda of getting with Jackson Hayes. He's there aren't guys who move like him at his side. There's a clip from earlier in the season. Can't remember who Texas was playing. I think it was Michigan State. Did they play Michigan State? I don't know. Where he caught, he took the ball on a fast break and he missed the layup, but it was unreal how fluid he moves and how coordinated he is for a guy his size. I mean, he played receiver in high school and had a crazy growth spurt. So this he has that rare trait for a big man. And he's pretty raw everywhere. His, I'm pretty sure he's, he's like 80% at the rim, so and his free throw percentage is good. So there's some shooting upside there. So but there's so much to develop, there's so much room to improve with Jackson Hayes. What I would love to see a team do is try to develop Jackson Hayes as a wing, just bat bat shit out there, just completely completely work on his ball handling, his his passing, his maybe even off dribble shooting, and develop him like that. But there's always a risk of taking a guy that high who's really raw and I'm not going to say he doesn't know how to play basketball because he's just not in that tier of bad feel, bad IQ, but he has his moments. And Jack Sears would be an interesting project for the Hawks. I think he's well worth a pick at 8 or 10. And then for Goga, I mean, it comes with 19-year-olds with his type of production in the EuroLeague are so rare. I mean, they're Luka Doncic. Obviously, Goga is nothing near Luka Doncic as a prospect, but he's a really good center He's, he shoots an easy ball. He supposed flashes of passing, of handling. He's decently mobile on the perimeter. He's pretty good as a pick-and-roll big. He can drop. He can hedge. He can switch a little bit. He's got good energy. He's got good touch. I'm not overly, like, top three, top four on Goga, but for the Hawks at 10, I don't I don't love the fit either with John Collins, but I think it's a it's it's a move that he's he's just so talented, and they could definitely make it work there. Yeah, I mean, part of it is just my thoughts on general position and not wanting to take a center that isn't like a special, special talent. But Yeah, either... exactly. That's the argument against them. Yeah, for sure. Very valid. Uh, and they're both interesting, though, uh, in, in, in very different ways. But um, that will uh, be a raging discussion between now and the draft. And then you have the hybrid guy who could play some center in Brandon Clark, who everybody loves on the internet, including me. Um, 
you know the short the short arms thing is going to be out there now. But oh he's such goodness. a great athlete that I'm gonna... uh, I mean it hurts him a little bit. You have to say, but um, he's not still really. awesome. I mean, he's a ridiculous a athlete bit? though. <laughs> I mean, it's just because you you don't you don't see guys who project to play small ball five some that have six eight wingspans. That just doesn't happen very often, if at all. But they also don't see guys that have his his testing numbers and his, yeah, his exactly. and all that stuff. So where I guess where do you land on him? I, I know you're I know you're really high, but what do you what should Hawks fans be looking at when they're trying to evaluate Brandon Clark? All right, quickly, quickly. Brandon Clark at the combine, he posted a ten sixty one lane, thirty four standing vertical leap, and forty point five max vertical leap. Russell Westbrook in two thousand eight, ten ninety eight lane, thirty standing vert, thirty six max vert. Twenty ten John Wall, ten eighty four lane, thirty standing vert. 39 max vert. So we don't see athletes like Brandon Clark come along very often, if not ever. And I posted a joke thing on Twitter after everyone was freaking about his, his short wing spam. I threaded a bunch of clips of, of his blocks in this season. And was like, man, too bad. Brandon Clark didn't have the wingspan to get to this block. And <laughs> I just, it's just like, sure. We don't see guys with his, his measurables very often, but we also don't see Brandon Clark's story often. His athleticism is just unreal. His his instincts and timing on the weak side are incredible. He has the same – at Gonzaga this year, he had the same amount of blocks as missed field goals, which is just absolutely absurd. But that's, that's just crazy. Yeah, but I mean, here's the he's, thing about Clark. It's basically do you care that he's old and will he ever be able to shoot are, are the two questions that everybody has. Absolutely. I, I think the old thing is – I mean, it's a concern. Like he, he's 23, but I, he, he's already okay. A, a big thing for him. He's he's already shown so much improvement already in college. I mean, just if you look at his jump shot form back at back as a freshman before he came to Gonzaga, it's 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 hideous. But yeah, it's bad. And now throughout the season, it's so much improved. And even there were videos that came out of him working out, and it looks a little different now. So. It's good to see. It was more in front of his face. And to be honest, I didn't think it looked as good, but hey, if he's hitting, and I definitely think I'm in the Brandon Clark will shoot camp because he said but he's he's like 60% out on two-point jumpers, incredible at the rim. He's His touch around the basket is evident whenever you watch him play, and so many indicators that eventually in, in a few years he'll be able to hit catch and shoots at a league average rate. I would bet a lot on that so and his touch is really impressive too i mean there's you don't just i know it's it helps to be athletic and mature and all that you still don't post the numbers that he posted on two point field goals without great touch and he had yeah. touch so uh that also helps things i would imagine as well um oh, oh uh before, before we get to the uh the four i guess well these guys are always always all kind of the same actually um there's this three player you know hybrid forward tier of cam reddish nas little and sekou Demboya that are often um projected in this range i think you're pretty low on nas from what, from what i remember but what do you what do you have on these three guys because reddish has been the guy i have heard the most about with the hawks forever and that's just not not just on the internet but just in my daily dealings with the team they do like cam reddish you know how much we'll see but they've been interested in him for a very very long time little had the weird season as well they both kind of had weird seasons in different ways and then sekou is uh more unknown, very young, but very talented. So what do you see out of the three guys? All right, so I'll start with the guy I'm least optimistic on. That's Nas Little. I, he's just 
it was such a bad season for him. It went it went so so poorly. Uh, I have a difficult time really discerning what what his NBA skill is going to be. Like he's super athletic. He can finish pretty well around the rim, and he's probably going to shoot. But his his defense was pretty terrible. His awareness was bad. He lost guys on the ball. He lost guys off the ball. He took a ton of bad shots. I remember he took more more Dirk legs than I needed to see. Dirk leg fadeaways that hit front rim. He's so raw in every aspect, and he's supposedly very charming. He interviewed very well, and he's going to be a hard worker, and he's going to be a guy's teams gravitate towards for those reasons. But in – in the lottery, I, I just can't get behind Nasir Little after all the bad things that he's shown this season. And there's some reason to believe that his situation at North Carolina was flawed. I mean, it wasn't perfect. But when you're a worse college player than Garrison Brooks, it, it's, it's not good. So I'm pretty pessimistic on Nasir Little. As for Siku Dumbuya... I've come up on him quite a bit, actually, recently. At the Combine, he had a really impressive game. I don't remember who he played, but he scored 33 or 34. His offensive arsenal is on full display. And it's really the thing with Siku. He's a pretty raw prospect, but he's been playing well recently. He's another one of those clay, athletic clay type of players who's just at, he's really athletic. And he shows flashes of fluidity and skill, but he doesn't really know what he's doing at this point. And he's super, super young, which is another big thing for him. He's the youngest player in this draft, if I'm not mistaken. And if he can figure out some, if he figure out off-ball defense, which usually comes with age, there's almost no 18-year-olds who are good team defenders. It's just a, it's just a thing that you have to consider when you're scouting 18 and 19-year-olds. And if he can become more consistent with his skills on offense, with his decision making on offense, with his shooting. I think I can see Siku being pretty good by his second contract, but that's the thing. Like, is the team willing to wait? Because in on his first contract, he's probably not going to be good, uh, barring some outlier Pascal Siakam type development. He's probably not going to provide much value on his first contract, and that's something whichever team drafts him have to be all right with. And for the Hawks, I wouldn't love it at ten. I wouldn't be too happy as a resident fake Hawks fan, but <laughs> I think. I think um, it's the, if any team is in a position to swing on Siku in the lottery, it's it's Atlanta. So yeah, and then all right, I want to I want to try and talk some Hawks fans off the cliff with Cam Reddish here because I've seen a lot of dis, I've seen a lot of dismay around people on Hawks Twitter, at least from what I've seen, some fear around Cam Reddish. And yeah, there's there's a lot to dislike with Cam Reddish. He, he shot like 30% from three, under 40% from two. His decision-making is terrible. He, okay, he's The whole Cam, Cam Reddish's athletic thing is really weird to me because he's so obviously not. And like in open shims, he's going to look great, and he's going to be one of the guys that shoots up in workouts because of his, like, his high-level skills and his shooting. But he's so unathletic, so unexplosive. He has no burst, and his decision-making is bad. But there are some things to like with Cam Reddish. And the, the main argument, the main pro Cam Reddish argument is he's big, 6'9", he's long, and he's probably going to be good on defense. So that's one thing you can bank on. And the second is there's a lot of reasons to not buy his shot, looking at his, his terrible two-point percentages and shot shooting around the rim. 
but his volume and his shot versatility is really great. And when you look at, I mean, Kevin Hurd is already one of the most versatile shooters in the league. And when Cam Reddish comes in, even if he's not making them, he, his shooting versatility is incredible. He does everything in terms of shooting off mo- off motion left, right, off handoffs, off dribble, pull up, step back, catch and shoot. That's another thing to really bank on. That's another indicator of shooting development. And I talked about this earlier. This is also an argument made by Ben Rubin of the Stepien. Very, very smart guy. Very great name. And... Cam Reddish with with the Hawks with with, with Trey Young's vertical spacing with the amount of attention that he takes away it there's more room for Cam Reddish to to do and less less decision making for him to make because I mean how are you supposed to guard Trey Young Kevin Herter and John Collins all at once there's so much attention to go around and when you have Cam Reddish who is going to be the fourth banana in that offense right away. If not fifth, maybe the Hawks sign someone or somebody emerges. You never know. He's not going to be asked to do much for them on offense in terms of load, which is really ideal for him. He's he's not a creator. He's not a great decision maker. So anything in, in a role where he can have a simplified decision-making tree and just let him shoot off a different array of actions. I know Lord Pierce is a coach I admire a lot. I'm sure he can come up with so many ways to take advantage of Cam Reddish if you were to draft him. And again, wouldn't be my favorite pick for Atlanta at eight or 10, but it's a defensible one. And I think it's a livable pick, especially in that range. If a lot of the guys they like are gone. Yeah. I think, you know, Reddish was truly not very good this season, which has to be pointed out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Which I know you said, it's just worth emphasizing that he was just not very good. Um, But you know, he, he, you could see the theory of him. And I do think, Atlanta is a good landing spot for him. If you're rooting for Cam Reddish, I think you probably want him to go to Atlanta. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I ideal place for ideal place for Cam Reddish. To, yeah, so to I mean the partnership could certainly work between team and player, and I think you know some of the smoke is definitely warranted. I'm not going to tell you that they're definitely drafting Cam Reddish if he's available. They do really? like him. I, I can I can pass that along. They do like him. Um, it's good, good to know. I can confirm that. Um, you know, but we'll see. Uh, I, I'm not. Good I chance he's gone by then, but. Yeah, he could be going. That's the thing. Like, you know, I there are teams, and he's the kind of guy, like like you said, that could look great, and probably already has looked great in in some empty gyms. He's he's fluid looking, and we saw there were some videos videos about videos him shooting today. Yeah, today. Yeah, so he, he's going to look good in individual workouts, and that's not a huge surprise. So if you find a team ahead of the Hawks that wants to take him, that's just fine, and they open some doors for Atlanta later on. Um. You know, we've covered a lot of ground on a lot of different guys, and uh, it's going to be interesting to be sure because, you know, the crazy part, which we won't even hit, too, hit on too much here, is if, you know, the Hawks come on the board at eight and one of those point guards is available because they can't really take them, um, but they can certainly open up, open up for business and trade that pick. Oh, yeah, that would be ideal, really. Yeah, I mean, they kind of – I think if you're uh, – Travis Schlenk is – also shown the willingness to trade down. We he did it a year ago when he finds his guy, and Trey Young like last year they they found their guy. They got an extra asset and they made the deal. He's not shy. Travis like is not a scared GM that's going to just do the conventional wisdom thing. So um, that leads to great content. I'll be honest about that. Um, Absolutely, yeah, a of, it's a, lot, a, lot a great scenarios. product too. Yeah, for sure. It's been it's been fun to cover this team. Um, well, Ben, I think unless you have anything else that you wanted to add, we've probably covered enough ground, yeah. but please tell people where they can find all of your work. Cause uh, I am following it closely. Other people should be as well. Appreciate that. And b- before I go, one more thing. Is there, wait, the Hawks are at Bull Bull. Are, oh are yeah. Hawks I was talking about Bull Bull. On him? 
I'll yeah, have to on him in the organization around the fan base. What can you tell me about Bulbul? Uh, organizationally, I have not heard that they like him. Um, okay. you know, that's not I'm I, I'm not talked to everyone in the organization, so that's not me reporting hard and fast stuff here. But um, I have not heard the same Cam Reddish buzz that I've heard about about Bulbul. So take take what you will from that. I've not heard that they are super interested there. Now it could be smoke screens. You know, they don't have to tell the media what's going on. Um, but I've not heard a ton of buzz there. Um, fans are split as you might expect with bowl bowl. Uh, his, his upside is documented. Very polarizing. Yeah. I mean, there are some fans that really want bowl bowl and have for weeks now that I, I hear from regularly when I say that I don't, I don't want them to take bowl bowl in the top 10. Um, and then there are others who are more like I am that don't, you know, that see the upside, but more acknowledge that there's a lot of risk there. And that's, that's where I am. Where, where do you fall on the bowl bowl, uh, uh, I am I am with you on the bubble on the bubble argument. I am not a fan of his, especially at, at ten. It's just it's so high. That's yeah. that's scary. Like no. I mean, <laughs> but, maybe 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 if he hadn't gotten hurt and he had played all season, I think maybe, I'd still be lower but, on him than everybody else was. That everybody else would be, but at least I would. That's one negative that you can I mean, remove. I guess. I think playing for him, getting injured, kind of helped him because. I think he would Maybe. have really been flustered against better. I mean, the Pac-12 was was kind of awful this year. It was basically basically a mid-major this year. But I mean, his his, defense, some, his okay, defensive he's... film was so bad. And people like so people bad. don't believe oh me. Oh my god! But it's it's funny. Every every time I talk to someone who does what we do and really tries to scout these guys, everyone agrees how bad how bad he was. But then you know, and this isn't a shot at fans, but they they see the blocks per game number and assuming he's a great, yeah. he's assuming he's a good defender, and it's like no, he's a good shot blocker because he's incredibly unfathomably long, but he's a terrible defender right now. Like, he doesn't so ha- he doesn't he doesn't have to be a terrible defender in, in, in the future, but he's really bad right now. I, I I mean he's just so bad. I think our friend our friend Kyle our dime drop he made a good video about Bull Bull and he he just made a point like he has no he talked about pride. Bull Bull has no pride on defense. He has some he has some eight nitis, as I like to say, where he'll be standing on the left block and there's a guard driving at the right block and he kind of just stands there, doesn't do anything, doesn't even go for the block. Having a couple times against Portland State, I think, and against against Houston, like that game, he had to defend the perimeter a lot and it was an absolute nightmare. There's one play where he had to close out to Armani Brooks or Nate Hinton, I think it was Nate Hinton, and he slid into the first row, like did like a ice hockey slide. It, he his feet are just so clunky and and slow, and he gets burned on the perimeter. And his only thing is his length, and he's gonna be like a, an okay post defender, but that doesn't really matter in today's NBA anymore. And he's he's so weak, and the injuries are there. And I do get the offensive upside; it's undeniable. Bigs like him who shoot or just don't just don't don't exist really, and especially he has some real he has a pretty functional handle as well. But like his feel is so poor as well. He takes some terrible shots, and I just don't love betting on prospects with poor poor feel. I'm gonna be lower on bowl than most. I can see like late late first round, maybe even late teens. That's just a super upside gamble. But yeah, bowl is. This is not a good bet, and even with the injuries, I like he's gonna get he's gonna get hurt. It's it's inevitable. People aren't built to be seven foot seven foot huge like Bull Bull, so it's just not a good thing. No. Anyways, like notable two oh was it two oh eight? He weighed in at like some comical he's a, number for he's someone a twig. who's seven it's ridiculous. two. 
Yeah. So uh, all that to say, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that was someone I should have asked you yeah. about. But uh, Bobo is was like polarizing. 230 in high school, didn't he? Uh, his weight was way way heavier. Yeah, I read somewhere that he lost, at least from what his listed weight, was like 234 at one point. And yeah. And now it's 208. So, you know, it's possible that he didn't weigh 234 at any point. But uh, 208 is really skinny, like comical. Like he out he weighs less than some point guards in this draft. Oh, which yeah. is uh, all you need to know about that. Like, for instance, uh, your, your favorite prospect in the world, Admiral, Admiral Schofield, is 6'5 and like 240-something. 240, 245. Yeah. And uh, Bobo's 7'2", 208. So just, <laughs> just for some comparison. Obviously, Admiral Schofield is, is huge, but still, it's like kind of funny just to think about it. Uh, wait, hold on a sec. So let's just find some players that weigh more than Bobo. So... Go. All right, Quentin so Grimes. I want have, to say. I, want to say. I, I, I did this Wilkes, exercise once already. Chris Wilkes, Quentin Grimes, Casey Akpala, uh Kevin Porter, Jalen Horde, Isaiah Roby, Dequan Jeffries, Keldon Johnson are the immediate ones. It's 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 ridiculous. Like, uh, yeah, Darius Basley, who's like yeah, famously Basley. skinny but considerably shorter. Um, totally just glanced over. He him. weighs the same amount as Cam Reddish, and Cam Reddish is like known for being wiry, skinny, and yeah, eight. he's a pound so. heavier than Brandon Clark. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, just for some reference points there. And uh, Bull Bull is a prospect that I will continue to talk about because people will always ask. He's very uh, popular. Him and, Ta- him and Taco Fall are very popular. Oh, my things. God. Can I just quickly just – Go ahead. Go on, Taco. Taco, Ta- Taco Fall is like Boban Marjanovic if he wasn't skilled on offense and didn't have touch. So, like, Taco – like, I- I'm sure you saw – I'm sure you saw, like, the, the Bleacher Report report. It was, like, NBA execs ba- – I'm going to paraphrase the – the NBA exec view that I've seen on Taco Fall is in the 40s and 50s, why not? And that's just like, why would you waste a draft pick on someone who's going to be negative value and replaceable everywhere? It's it's mind-numbing that Taco Fall might get drafted because, yeah, he's 7'7", sure. But he, it, it, it's, it's not 1960. Like, maybe if he had a DeLorean, he could go back and be, a, and be number one overall, but... In the modern NBA, he he can't play. He he he's gonna get just if he even sniffs a playoff basketball court, he's gonna get played off the floor in minutes. So, yeah, my my thing of Taco Fall. Yeah, no, I I I think I'm definitely closer to you on this one. I think you know, is it possible that in a specialist role he could do something for ten minutes a game? Sure. Yeah, sure. But. Uh, in the playoffs, which is what you're building for, he's not going to be playable. Um, as we saw, Bo- I mean, Bobon had the one great game when he hit like five mid-range jump shots. And by the <laughs> way, Bobon is not as big and uh, much more skilled offensively. Like a he's lot. He's way more heavier. He's way heavier too. Yeah, I just mean like length. Like Bobon yeah, is famously yeah. massive and long, but he is not close to as long as Taco, which is like hilarious to think about how yeah, how much how much ball. longer Taco is than Bobon. Eight foot two. 10, 10 two standing reach. Seven, 10 two five. standing reach is like ridiculous. He is, and he's in, his standing reach is yeah. more than a foot longer than the second the second longest at the combine. He can dunk standing. He can dunk without uh, jumping. Uh, yeah, he can. So. And he is in the illustrious ten ten club with his hands, hand length, inches, and width, along with Jaron Jackson and Kawhi Leonard. Can't imagine he's gonna he's going to be anything like those players, but. If big hands are an indicator, then I don't know. I'm just spitballing at this point. But seven five without shoes is uh, just something. insane. It's, it's at, at any rate, uh, I think I agree I with mean, you on this one. I mean, Taco is his knees someone... are gonna break. 
Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that you bring to Summer League. He'll be at Summer League with somebody, and I wouldn't draft him either. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't floor me if he was on, on an NBA court next year in a 15th man role, but uh, I, agree. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, the, I would not be the team that signed him myself. So, all right. And last thing I promise, cause I, the Hawks mentioned not wanting five rookies. So I, I want to quickly talk about two international guys who are yeah. maybe second round type. Cause Who's I've here? just, just, just been starting working on my international deep dives. And unless you have, unless you have a way to find film, like international synergy, it's just a nightmare trying to find games sometimes, but I want to talk about a few of the guys who I have been studying and I do think are second round international types. And the first one is is Davidis Servetus, six nine Croatian wing, or you know I'm not going to get this wrong. I'm just going to look it up. He's Lithuanian. Okay, whatever. He's just <laughs> he, he, I was I was really embarrassing. Whatever. He's six foot eight. He's a really smooth shooter. He's a great scorer overall. He's he's. I mean, that's really the thing with him. Six eight, long, shoots the ball well, put it on the floor a little bit, but he's really skinny. He's not good on defense, and he's. He, I mean, he's young, June tenth, two thousand. Uh, pencil stash guy, and then, and then, uh, the Israeli guy, Zeusman. Zeusman. Yeah, Yabel Zeusman. I believe his name is. Yeah. Yes, that's his name, Zeusman. He's base. He's one of the only guys who's twenty. He's twenty one, and he's getting minutes in a Euroleague rotation, which is incredibly impressive in itself. There's not too many guys who are doing that. Even if he's not contributing much, he's a defense first type of prospect. Not overly quick, but he's strong. He's big. He plays bigger than he's listed, and and he can shoot a little. He can pass a little. He's another stash guy that Atlanta could look at later in the draft. So, yeah, I, I think I do think if they. If they end up making five picks, one of them is going to be a stash. I I would probably bet against them making five picks, but if they have to make five, I just can't imagine. You know, as many times as Schlenk now has said on the record that they don't want five rookies, that usually means they're they're going to take a stash somewhere along the way. And I I understand it. They have a lot of young guys already. There's probably a cap to how many first year players you want around. But um, yeah, keep an eye on the stash market. And those two guys are uh, on the list of potential available prospects. Um, oh yeah, I meant to say, uh, Ben, please plug yourself again because uh, I, I oh, talked yeah, about you sorry. before you start. Before I came, before you came on, you won't know this, but I recorded and tell tell people where they, where they can find you. But please tell people where they can find your stuff on Twitter and your writing oh, and all sure. that. No problem. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore Pfeiffer spelled P F E I F E R like Michelle with one F. And I write about the draft at cbbtoday.com. I write about the NBA at clutchpoints.com, and I write about the Pacers at 8points9seconds.com. And you can expect a lot of draft of draft content from me in the upcoming weeks, months, and hopefully years. So, yeah. Weeks, months, and years, if we all make it that far, because there's four weeks of the draft, yeah. and I'm already tired. So there's a, oh, lot, man, of, I gotta... there's a lot happening. <laughs> yeah, it's nonstop work at this point, but it's fun. We'll all be burning the midnight oil over the next uh, couple weeks. But uh, thank you for joining me, sir. I really appreciate you coming on and we'll uh, we'll talk very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I really appreciate the patronage and please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Himalaya or Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, all those places if you have not listened to the show previously. Thank you for joining us for the first time. And also today's show is brought to you by Grip6 where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms. It's ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist making the belt super comfortable 
Grip 6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip 6 has a special offer for you as well at grip6.com slash lock. Grip6.com slash lock.